0: To the show, Matt, what are we talking about today?
1: Uh, today we are talking about. Well, you told me we're talking about Satan, but maybe we'll get to that. Um, Satan, 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 tattooing and tattooing and religion, right? Like, we've said already a few times the things that people tattoo on their bodies are the things they love, things they hate, and things they want to have sex with. Uh, the third category is rolled into the first. Well, actually, like religious tattooing. (laughs) kind of covers all three of those things.
0: Yeah, and it really when you look at the history of art and religion, it's no surprise that religious tattooing is such a huge genre not just in the western world, but all across the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like tattooing is one of the ways in which human beings, you know, communicate uh, and manifest and represent their you know sort of basic human desires and ideas, and obviously like underneath all of or a huge amount of human belief, desire, and behavior is 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 religious faith and spirituality, and so like you know it's no surprise, and again, my particular kind of expertise is in 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 the Christian context, but we find tattooing and you know things that we might broadly call religious or spiritual or metaphysical all over the place always because one of the reasons that human beings make marks on things, including their bodies, is to communicate about their about their religious beliefs, you know?
0: And if you look at imagery as visual language and visual culture, religion has, in some form, existed way longer than, you know, the communication of written language. And if we look at, you know, you mentioned metaphysical, if you look at art as representation, if you look at something like Baudrillard, where you have the signs and symbols, you have these repeated patterns of designs that get repeated over and over and over again. That eventually get abstracted from their original meaning, where the current version no longer reflects the original version. Art and religion, and in particular tattooing, are directly in that as well. That you know, how many times have you seen you know Saint Anthony, Saint Michael, the Archangel Gabriel, crosses. Uh, the Rock of Ages, any variation of religious tattooing, but also just tattoo flash as well. That
1: I'm I'm impressed with that. We're we're under three minutes in and we've already got to Baudrillard. This to be one of those days.
0: <laughs> it's it's really going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like it's a hundred percent. We replicate these signs and symbols over and over and over, and but we still understand what they inherently mean and. Before we get into the topic, I want to talk about something that you know would really set you up for what we're going to talk about. And Matt, have you ever heard of the nuclear cats?
1: I haven't heard of the nuclear cats. Tell me about the nuclear cats. I want to. Know, I want to know. I want to know about the nuclear cats. So
0: in the nineties, and listener, you might know this. In the nineties, there was a project commissioned where, obviously, as nuclear power was becoming more common and common, and we understood understood more and more the half-life decay rate of nuclear waste. They started this project of how in 10,000 years will we be able to communicate that certain <laughs> areas are dangerous because they contain nuclear waste? And they had to try and think about how can we create signs and symbols that transcend language, that transforms over time. So one of them was, one idea was this nuclear priesthood where we have this sort of <laughs> clergy that assembles to pass down the message of area is dangerous because of nuclear waste here.
1: I liked their first album, Nuclear Priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> they, they sold out. Sorry, carry on.
0: <laughs> but these are all like theoretical ideas. And when you look at religion, it operates in the same way. And that was the angle that they took with it is that, hey, we can create this like ecclesiarchy that passes down this religious message that these are like no-go zones but obviously we host a, ta- a show about tattooing we understand that people will inherently want to transgress any rules that are put forth so then someone came up with an idea about what if we created cats whose fur reacted to radiation and they changed colour <laughs> nuclear cats nuclear cats
1: I, that sounds amazing so so yeah like, like instead of canaries in coal mines cats in reactor
0: cores yep Cats and cores.
1: Well, so look, yeah, I mean, look, basically, one of the reasons that religion and tattooing are so interconnected, right, is again, something we've said already on this podcast a few times, which is that tattooing is a useful way to distinguish us, some us, from some them, whether it's inside of your own society. So you are kind of denoting rank, you know, by kind of elevating the tattooed class or subjugating them, or or you're using tattooing to signify some kind of social role, or you are using tattooing or its absence to articulate how you're different from um, a neighboring culture, a neighboring tribe, a neighboring religious community, right? So again, like because tattooing, you know, gets to kind of be, be worn on the body and gets to be, be visible and permanent in certain ways, it, yeah, it does. And, and, and because it's sort of the symbology transcends time in a kind of complex way, Tattooing gets to be, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious in a way that tattooing and religious faith are so inter- intersected, right? Because just from a kind of socially functional point of view, I mean, I, I'm a bit sceptical in general of like reducing tattooing and, and, and writing about tattooing to to just thinking about it as a socially functional thing. Even if uh, a particular tattoo practice isn't kind of socially functional in, in its original context, Another culture can look at it and say, "Oh, yeah, well they have tattoos because they're barbaric, or they have tattoos because they're heathens, or they have tattoos because they follow a different god to us." Even if in that original cultural context, those things aren't as, as closely connected. So,
0: and even if we even if we look at Ot- or- Otzi that we spoke about last week, you know, there's a lot of conversation about were his tattoos applied medicinally or spiritually or just cosmetically. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. But yeah, that, the cultural context being viewed so, just purely as a social function doesn't really serve it in the same way that religion does. So Matt, time to uh, put on your lecturer hat and pull that <laughs> philosophy degree, uh, degree off the shelf. We're talking about the place of art in the history of religion. And one of the biggest things to look at is that art in the context of religion and Faith, or whatever way you want to put a name on it, is extremely old. If we look at the earliest representations of art as a function, cave paintings, carved bones, they're all trying to communicate some sort of either, is it historiographic, the word?
1: Yeah, historiographic. Yeah. History of history.
0: They're all trying to communicate some historiographic function. They're trying to track either, faith or even migration patterns, hunting areas, and religion is kind of the same in a way. If I'm, if you get my point, Matt, you're following me.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, so one of the things we we I'm always interested in. So, and uh, as an art historian, this is something I have to kind of explain to my students quite a lot as well, right? Like, a lot of the time, partly because too many of them have watched the Da Vinci Code movies. Symbology. <laughs> symbology, right? This idea that X means Y, uh, iconography, iconology, this idea that you can read a symbol and it means always this kind of particular sort of, you know, you can decode symbols like that. And to be honest with you, some art and some religious art does work like that. You know, there are specific s- symbolic, direct signs or objects that represent saints or whatever. But the thing is with religious art in general is that if you're an anthropologist of religion and you're looking at visual. Cultures of religion. You'll go back and you'll say, "Well, what is the function of this image?" Right. So, this altarpiece in a Christian context, maybe to communicate or to, or to to or to kind of serve or to to create a kind of narrative, um, a communion or whatever. And if you're looking at a particular uh, culture in 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 uh, in Africa or in the Middle East, you'll say, "Well, these images are being used devotionally, or they're worshipping the image and whatever." But of course, like actually, the function of an image is only. The beginning of an analysis. Whereas for an anthropologist, it's sort of where you stop. It's like, oh, this is what it's for. And I'm as I, as night historian, am interested in like a bit more than that. Why does it look like that? Why do those images function that way? And I think like one of the things that I find kind of interesting and complicated about the history of tattooing is that most anthropology of tattooing, historically speaking, has like looked at these marks on the skin and assumed a kind of functional full stop right and even in places where tattoos do have social like very delineated social functions like in New Zealand Aotearoa for example right where tattooing does have a specific kind of social meaning in a kind of quote-unquote religious or at least kind of socially you know sort of social context which which has some metaphysical aspects to it even there the images change over time they have their own histories there are kind of important artists there are important You know the fact that the images change or are stable over time is also themselves interesting. Like the function of an image is is only part of of what's interesting about it. And again, to talk more specifically about Christian tattooing in this context, because it's the stuff I know most about. Like you can read a lot about Christian tattooing even today, either historically or contemporary, and it will say, well, people are getting tattooed with an image of God or Jesus or, 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 a, or a saint because they they want it to be close to their heart and they want to, you know, it's to kind of venerate the saint. And actually, like, that's too reductive. You know, like the reason people get, the reason people in Christian context get, get tattoos of Christian symbology is because they live in a Christian culture. They want to communicate a kind of affiliativeness. Yeah, they may assign some kind of devotional context to that image. They might think, well, yeah, this is honoring my, religion but like that's not to say that's what it's for and full stop is like it's too reductive you know it's too simple and I think hopefully one of the things that I'll we'll keep coming back to I'll keep coming back to you the more we talk is like you can't do that kind of simplistic stuff with art in general and you certainly can't do it with tattooing you can't sort of say this is what the images of therefore full stop that is what this image means you know because context and um and history and uh you know all these other things are are important as, as much as quote unquote function you know
0: I think it's also important to kind of ground the idea of why art is used in religion and like we said art predates you know written communication but if we look at Christian art which probably most of the listeners are familiar with you know paintings of Jesus and God and like Sistine Chapel murals and everything when we look at Christian art particularly in early Christian period middle ages the art was used as a way to communicate you think you have the teachings from the Bible and at this time most people couldn't read so how do you communicate right. the, te- the teachings of Christianity to people you have depictions of hellmouths, you have depictions of the kingdom of heaven, you have depictions of sin, stories from the Bible, uh, angels, demons. That's how people learn. You look at you know the earliest depictions of Jesus, it's pictures of him in the holy coronation with the, with the halo, I was about to say aura. Um, all of the crystal people get real mad at me.
1: All of your, all of your, all of your like, um, like Irish, like religious school teachers are kind of listening in and <laughs> now marking your homework. My, my favorite, my favorite one of those, and this is again, I think, super interesting, right? So, my favorite one of those that I often talk about is the Isenheim Altarpiece, which is a German 15th century, like, huge altarpiece by a um, an artist who's been called Matthias Grünewald. Not sure if that's his real name, but that's kind of what he gets called. And that is, like, disgusting. Like, he's a kind of full-on, like, rotting, pestilent, like, festering zombie Jesus on the cross kind of thing with, like, the nails through the feet. And it's just kind of brutal. But, as yeah, the point of that is to kind of communicate, like, what we call affectively in our history, this idea that you can look at something and kind of feel it before you intellectually try and understand what it means. You need a bit of that kind of affective, like gut punch, to kind of communicate the meaning. And this is what happens. To go back to your what you're saying earlier on about symbols and signs, is like they develop a kind of affective semiotics. Again, to use these technical terms, communicative heft. Right, like enough of these images all the time through repetition become meaningful. And through kind of you know identification and through um, empathy, really, by looking at these images and saying, "I understand what that means," I kind of get a sense of it. Um, then a kind of community builds up. And again, like tattooing for Christian communities, you know, again has a has a kind of logic, right? Through that kind of penitent, um, mortificatory, flagellant kind of mode, right? That, that a lot a lot of particular kinds of Christianity have been quite interested in. The, the the fragility of the flesh and stuff, and so definitely some some anthropologists have written about tattooing. Think the fragility
0: that. of the flesh in contrast to the eternity of the soul, as well. Exactly. But a big thing as well that, and funnily enough, I was in Madrid recently and went to uh, Reina Sofia and obviously saw some saw a painting like Guernica, and when you see it, it's so big and it's breathtaking because you've seen pictures of stuff like Guernica and then when you see it in person you are overcome with this idea of awe and if you look at even in the worlds of architecture painting obviously and ceremony and ornateness of faith and devotion so much of everything around religion other than like liturgy and teachings is to communicate in a non-verbal way a sense of awe that we cannot accurately represent what God is, but we can build things that instill a sense of awe or fear or devotion in the same way that, you know, actually seeing God would. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and again, that kind of sort of constructive selfhood thing, right? Of like trying to, you know, that there's a great, um, obviously, that kind of idea of. That man is met man, uh, man is made in God's image. And in fact, a lot of um anti-tattoo Christians have sort of used that as a, well, you know, you're you're um you sort of desec- you know, you're, if your body's a temple, you're desecrating it by tattooing.
0: You're built in his image.
1: Yeah. But again, like um we see, I mean, even we talked about last last week that Sudanese mummy from the eighth century um with the St. Michael tattoo on her inner thigh. Like, there is a kind of um, idea that it's the point that that you're trying to create a more kind of spiritually spiritually sensible, spiritually kind of author, or, you know, correct version of yourself that 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 people tattoo themselves, and that's certainly true in other cultural traditions. You know, in in lots of the tattooing that happens in Thailand, the Sankhya, like Buddhist tattooing, has a kind of again, I I don't proclaim to be any kind of expert on this, so so go and read some more about it rather than take my word for it. But basically, like this idea that you can use tattooing to kind of um, uh, incarnate something particular about your faith, I think is pretty, pretty compelling,
0: you know? Yeah. And that is actually a perfect inflection point where talking about art representation around the world in religion, obviously there are certain faiths where there are certain rules or doctrine around how art is represented in, uh, particularly in Islam. Allah and the Prophet Muhammad are not, you're not allowed to visually represent them. So instead, what they did was develop languages of very ornate calligraphy and architecture and art to, coming back to what I was saying earlier on, inspire this still same sense of awe that you would feel encountering God. How can you represent the complexities of a world beyond our our own and if you've seen if you look at some of like the really ornate mosques in the middle east or around europe and and particularly if you look at the mosques in north africa like beautiful ornate architecture intricately designed pinpoint precise placement of art you can't look at it and not feel something
1: yeah, and and that that exact kind of emotional again, that's that's what we would call it in our historical writing affect, right? It's it's that thing that makes you feel something. I mean, I think the interesting thing about that again to link it with tattooing, right, is for example, again something we mentioned last week with um, with Arctic tattooing, that is to as for, as a quick summary is is performed on women, It is facial, and it's representative of a an ancestor. Who is the kind of origin of the moon. And when Christian missionaries showed up, they were like, Oh, these tattoos are like worshipping, or these people even they're worshiping the moon goddess, right? And actually, <laughs> if you talk to a uh, an Inuit person or you or you talk to uh, you know, you read scholars of the Arctic, um or you know, or Inuit people who are scholars of the Arctic, those who are not mutually exclusive categories, they will tell you that like, yeah, that we like we don't worship anything. Like that's not how our It's
0: not how it works.
1: It's not how it works. These aren't gods. They're just like they're they're people that just happen to live in a different plane of reality now. Like they're not they're not gods. We're not worshiping them. This is like, you know, kind of reflecting or or maybe kind of like manifesting uh, something about this story. And again, to sort of generate a particular kind of emotional affective response to make us think about these things. But it's not, it's not worship. And I think this is this is what happens a lot when we try and map Christian and colonial ideas about art and religion onto, I mean, painting is one thing, but even also onto tattooing, we end up in some really weird places and reading tattooing as this kind of devotional thing. I mean, you know, again, to, to pick a kind of interesting example. So um, Judaism, right. Doesn't have a strong history of um, tattooing. In fact, tattooing is um, prohibited uh, by in Orthodox Jewish uh, communities but in the in the concentration camps when they were stu- like there was some nazi study of tattooing basically they would like look at the tattoos on the people that they'd interred and they would try and then de- determine you know what can tattooing tell us about the moral character of the people we've interned and this guy eric wagner who was working at buchenwald as a kind of like scientist you know quote, quote unquote to kind of study tattooing he was really interested in tattooing And he was really surprised to find that like quite a few Jewish people were tattooed, right? Because he was like, isn't tattooing banned in Judaism? And they were like, yeah, but these aren't religious tattoos. These are like tattoos of our class, right? These are tattoos of our professions, of the places we came from. So these religious people had tattoos, but they weren't religious tattoos. And this is, again, the thing that happens a lot for good and for ill. Um, Lots of that criminology, again, that we talked about last week in the 19th century, lots of prisoners and sailors have, because they are existing and growing up in religious communities, they have religious tattoos. But then the criminologists are like, well, this is a blasphemous, horrible thing that these people are doing. And actually, the fact they've got tattoos, even if they're religious in character, actually are just indicative of them being part of a religious community society rather than any kind of overdetermined idea about what these tattoos mean for them as individuals.
0: Yeah, and I think as well when we look at the intersection between tattooing and religion, where most of us, because we mainly interact with a lot of people in the tattoo space that are mainly based in the West, we see a very Western interpretation of it. And the, the application of the application of faith to tattooing it goes through that same lens. And unfortunately, as uh, Matt is reaching for the colonialism and uh, appropriation button, you know, a lot of these symbols are then abstracted from the original context and applied to people that they do not fit with. You look at, you know, stuff like the appropriation of Mary Moko and Polynesia doing, which is not necessarily religious, but it is considered like a part of deeply ingrained into their culture and spiritualism. Yeah. Everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo. We all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world.
1: That's why Sanoderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Sanoderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years.
0: Sanoderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Sanoderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Sanoderm to heal my tattoos in the past and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process.
1: Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Sanoderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, And keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster.
0: Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients.
1: So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Sanoderm? Healing your tattoos the modern way so you can
0: get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Sanoderm products or for more information. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As, and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You
1: should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting, niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid, don't miss out on this chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good point. So that that also so that works in the opposite direction too. The things I was saying about tattooing not being um, anchored necessarily to a kind of expression of a particular idea, like of course. If you overdetermine that and take it the other direction, you end up with appropriation, and people saying, "Oh, they're just symbols; they're just kind of things that don't mean anything." And you, this is why I mean, you've always got to be mindful of context. I mean, the other, the other really good example I think of this f- phenomenon is what happened in Fiji in the colonial period, right? So, um, again, sorry, book klaxon, twenty-six minutes into the record. There's a chapter in Painted People about um, about about tattooing in, in Fiji. From the point of view of um, a young woman who who gets tattooed uh, by a missionary rather than the other way around. So, not missionary, uh, uh, an anthropologist, a guy called um, Baron von Hugel. Great name. Baron von Hugel. So, the, basically, the Christian, the Christian missionaries all over the world, in the Arctic, in the Pacific, saw tattooing as pagan, as a pagan practice. There's this line in Leviticus, right? Um, Do not make marks upon you for the dead. And for a long time, of some some Christians interpret that, um, and Jewish scholars do too. Interpret it as, you know, um, don't tattoo yourself at all. Tattooing itself is prohibited as a pagan practice. That was the one of the one of the lines of argument at the Second Council of Nicaea in the eighth century, right? Like tattooing is a pagan practice. But a more kind of nuanced version of that, and another interpretation, is that actually tattooing itself is fine. It's the actual it's the making marks for the dead that's the problem. The making marks isn't the problem. It's the it's the necromancy and the kind of ancestor worship and that, that's the pagan bit. So when when the missionaries um turned up in the Pacific and the Arctic, they tried very, very hard to 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 wipe out Tattooing because it was seen as this pagan practice, because it was linked with local religious and spiritual practices. But at the same time, um there's an interesting case of a woman. Who was, um, capt- she was, uh, c- convicted or, or, or convicted. I mean, convicted is too much, too strong a word, but she was accused of murdering her husband, right? A, a local woman. And she was, by local tradition, meant to be put to death. And this missionary turned up and said, no, don't put her to death. Um, instead, why don't you tattoo her face? <laughs> and she, the, the, the drawing's incredible. There's a drawing in, um, uh, these Pacific journals that are at the Peabody Essex Museum. Basically, like someone obviously held this woman down and tattooed the word "murderer" on her face in English, upside down. So they're obviously sort of someone's holding her with her head between her knees, and she's her head between their knees and tattooing this word "murderer" on her face. And you sort of go, why is it that if if these missionaries thought tattooing was a pagan practice, why were they sanctioning it as an alternative to the summary execution of this woman? Why was tattooing happening if? In this Christian context, if if the very act of tattooing itself was thought to be blasphemous, and of course, like this is the point, tattooing itself is not blasphemous, and Christians, most Christians, don't believe that. Um, Even even the kind of hardcore missionaries that were trying to ban tattooing, because they weren't really worried about the practice, even though that seems to be the way that the history's been written up. It's not the actual breaking of the skin that's the problem; Um, it's the it's the ancestor worship, it's the paganism, it's the cultural and magical and and religious and spiritual beliefs that the tattooing represents. That's the problem, you know, but over time and in lots of discussions about tattooing, I think those, those conversations get really blurred and you end up with, we, the, we, we white people or we, you know, whoever you want to, however you want to frame that don't tattoo ourselves People who aren't like us do tattoo themselves, therefore tattooing is is pagan. And this idea, which goes back, as I said, to the 8th century and is sort of dubious from a historical and historiographic point of view, is still being published in The Times in 20- 2022.
0: Oh, I know. And, you know, that is actually that is a perfect point to not to now talk about our next point, which is Satan. Satan! 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 Yeah, so I don't think we could talk about tattooing in religion, and particularly in the context of both of us live in the West, and not to talk about the big man Satan. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know, the idea of, an, of a uh, divine opposition is universal throughout all world religions. But particularly satan himself uh, has a really interesting relationship with tattooing in that tattooing by a lot of people is simultaneously viewed as satanic but also people who are tattooed you know will see themselves as an outsider anyway and it exists outside the tribe and what is more outside the tribe than Satan?
1: Satan! 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 Yeah, well, but
0: then again, you
1: know, like, the flip side of that, you know, um, this word uh, is, this word apotropaic, right? Which means kind of, like, magically protective, right? Like, kind of...
0: I was about to ask you to explain that because I had never heard that word before.
1: It's like, if you've got a, you know, if you've got a kind of amulet that protects you from from evil spirits or whatever, the, the technical term for that is apotropaic, Right. And and for a lot, sometimes sometimes tattooing gets to be again in a Christian context gets to be a opaque, right like be gone like um the the again many of these stories are definitely not true but they were certainly published and they were good kind of um, uh, rallying cries for tattooers you know people worried about being boiled alive by cannibals they would tattoo like an image of Jesus on their back because that would you know scare the the natives you know again in so many so many air quotes um so this this idea yeah that the 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 tattooing is is, is it, it, putting something on your skin kind of makes it real yeah like if you tattoo these you know lots of there's lots of kind of occultism and and certainly either well you know sincerely or performatively um tattooing themselves with with um occultist
0: imagery the wonderful alistair crowley being one yeah well
1: alistair crowley i mean i was thinking it was also like you know psychic tv and throbbing gristle and like all those guys um oh, who yes were kind of, yes we
0: get talk about throbbing gristle <laughs> yeah right
1: like uh genesis and 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 paula and uh, you know they were all tattooing themselves with you know a, they were sort of playing sort of I mean, it's we, this, we could do a whole podcast about throbbing gristle and psychic tv but basically yeah, you know, the idea was that they would kind of, you know, incarnate their 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 beliefs. But of course, like, yeah, that works in the other direction too. Lots of, you know, even again in 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 Russian prisons, for example, some of the religious tattooing is like, well, if I have uh, if I have Jesus tattooed on me, then I'm not going to get whipped because the, uh, the 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 very religious jailer is not going to want to mark the face of the savior. Again, I I doubt it works, right? But this is certainly something that you see written. So yeah, if you're if you're trying to um if you're trying to kind of express and incarnate and kind of activate your religion, um, tattooing is a good way of a good way of doing that. I mean, the the other it's a bit it's a it's a bit of a handbrake term from Satanism, but in the same kind of idea during the uh like Cambodian civil war, uh, with Pol Pot.
0: This is a really left-hand turn.
1: Well, some of the, some of, some of the, um, there was this belief that uh, some particular kinds of Buddhist tattooing would would literally stop bullets. Right, they made you like magically immune through sort of faith and apotropaic magical protection from getting shot. Right, there's a great story again in the book, like this one veteran uh, who fought in the 70s and 80s, basically said that like, yeah, he survived two landmines. Because he stepped on them and they hadn't, they hadn't detonated because of his tattoos.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. But you know that, but that does make sense because talking about you know psychic TV and you know Crowley and stuff like that. Yeah, for a lot of people, that sort of magical realism and it, its symbolic interference with the world, like we're seeing a yeah. lot of that come back now uh, through crystals and tarot and astrology and that sort of thing. But that stuff is even so common. Superstition. Superstition is the word I was looking for. Superstition ain't the way. But that sort of thing is so common even in just normal culture. If you look at... Of course. Yeah. We're we're superstitious people. Because in similar way to how being awestruck by grand features, we're all looking for ways to interpret the world the unexplainable and the ununderstandable, non-understandable parts of the world, and yeah. I think stuff like tattoos as symbolic protection goes completely hand in hand with that.
1: Yeah, I mean exactly. So this is this is something again, like you know, um, we all think, uh, and this you know, this is something very deep in our evolutionary history. We all think we have some control over the world and the universe. Like, there's an amazing amazing uh, famous study in psychology by a guy called B.F. Skinner, right? Where he put pigeons in boxes and then like just put fooded randomly. And the pigeons would be like, what, what was I just doing that made the food arrive? And like whatever the pigeon was doing, it would start tapping its foot or turning left or like, because it assumed there was a kind of cause and effect between its behavior and what happened. And, and I think, yeah, tattooing's definitely part of that in some contexts. I mean, again, we can sort of overdetermine that though sometimes. So I think there's again, a good example is, is these tattoos that Anne Austin documented in, uh, in Egypt in ancient Egypt, this amazing woman who's covered in like hieroglyphics, big, like she's got lots of kind of gods and, and religious, you know, um, pantheon symbols from the, from, from symbols of the Egyptian pantheon on her of Hathor and various other kind of, you know, important figures. And the, the reading that she has of these is that, you know, this woman was probably some kind of, like, m- medico-magical figure. But a, a, another another scholar, um, called Luc Reno, whose work I really enjoy, he published a paper saying, well, but you didn't know that. Like, it might just have been that, like, people thought that those tattoos were cool. We only have, like, she's the only one we found with these tattoos, so you can't kind of make any kind of inference. You're just sort of saying tattoos that are magical or religious, therefore she's a religious figure. Like it's 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 possible. In fact, it's likely, probably, but we can't determine that. And we're putting that stuff back into the past. This idea that because they're there are tattoos, they are indicative of some kind of metaphysical belief. Like we have to be careful with that. I mean the other the other the other thing there as well, another kind of big word in this is, is syncretism. You know what syncretism is?
0: I do not.
1: So syncretism is when one religious practice takes on features of another one. So when like religions kind of merge together.
0: So religious osmosis then?
1: Yeah, so you see it a lot in colonial practice, but it's not just a colonial phenomenon. But like, you know, the reason that... So, for example, the way that like shrines and stuff in Mexico get built to like gangsters is a kind of syncretic thing. You know, you can take the kind of features of that local Catholicism and map it onto some more local.
0: Or a, a a very Anglo example the adoption of pagan symbols in early Christian there's that cross in the north of England that feature is it the Walthamstow cross yeah, that fe- exactly. features both Christian iconography but also pagan iconography as well. Yeah.
1: So yeah so so I mean so so yeah so so Christmas for example is a syncretic Thing, right? We 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 can kind of merge, we can map Christian logic onto pagan practice, right? And actually, it helps. It helps kind of cultural cohesion. It also you know, helps colonial projects. So it's like your god, same as our god. You know, Gr- the Greek and Roman uh, crossovers are the same thing. In in the concept of tattooing, you, for example, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, but like the the real kind of like important Christian tattooers in Jerusalem in the uh, early modern period, in the late 16th, early 17th century, are Egypt copts from Egypt and tattooing in that culture, you know, there are there are there's thousands of years of tattooing history in that region, pre-Christian, in Bedouin and, and and other kind of cultures in the region. So you can see how like a culture that practices tattooing that then becomes Christianized will start using the same technology, but to make Christian images rather than in service of their previous. You know, religious spiritual practices so that, that that happens again all over the place like we see kind of traditional tattoo practices merge with other ones to create new ones where this sort of religious syncretism is happening you know it doesn't mean that tattooing is either part of or or, or alien to a particular culture actually it's almost almost like kind of a hybridizations happening it's like well we're gonna turn up if we tell these people that are doing loads of tattooing that that's Banned by God, that's going to be a problem. So actually, we'll tell them that, like, actually, the God thing is the most important thing. And if they start tattooing Jesus stuff instead, like, rather than what they were doing, that's probably better. And that's that kind of marks for the dead thing we were talking about a minute ago too.
0: And it's it's funny, like bringing it back to the the Satan thing and putting it in kind of a modern political context. We talked on an earlier episode about post-World War II, like, quite a lot of people had tattoos, mainly like working class people. If you look at the evolution of political thought over the course of the 20th century, you only really had Satan being associated with tattoos really emerge in the late 70s, early 80s. And that's when you had some like Thatcherite politics and Reaganomics coming back into view and trying to bring back around this 1950s idea of political control of the classes, of the social structure of society, and that working class people had tattoos. You know, there are people who had their sleeves rolled up, a lot of sailors, a lot of soldiers. And when they came back, if you look at soldiers, particularly a lot of them that would have gotten tattooed in Vietnam or after they had come back, a lot of them were quite disenfranchised and quite disillusioned with the structure of society and government. And then you had this idea of trying to Bring society back to heel and realign it with this conservative Christian values in the west in, in particular, and this is ubiquitous across all of Europe. Well, you have some out outcroppings of uh communist factions blowing up and and blowing back down but tattooing became part of the satanic panic in the eighties that these people that are they have the wrong sexual orientation the wrong political uh, ideology that just don't necessarily fit into this particular way that we view society well they're all satanists gay gays they're satan uh bikers are satan sailors are satan and tattoos are satan
1: well this is the stuff this is exactly the stuff that um genesis peorage was playing into because he was playing with all those things all at once but to make those arguments, if you're a conservative, I mean, not that we can hold conser- conservatives to any particular coherence in their in their politics, but like I, I was going to
0: say, standard of morality,
1: but yeah. But to make to make that argument, you know, uh, you end up with some in some really weird places. So it, again, even back in the nineteenth century, but certainly since Melanie Phillips uh, is just one example, you have to kind of go well. If if, even if we're doing,
0: to, uh, am I going to have to bleep this? No,
1: I mean this. I'm just citing her articles. She thinks she thinks that tattooing, you know, is anti-religious, and you sort of go, well, actually, the longest tattoo histories we have in 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 Britain uh, are Christian tattoos because people, it was it's a Christian culture has been, so most of the tattooing that people were doing and lots of the images that are meaningful to people have some kind of cultural resonance with Christianity. So how do you get, how do you make square that circle? How do you sort of say, well, tattooing is this pagan anti-religious practice when actually most tattooing that we have is is religious in nature, right? Well, you sort of have to go, well, maybe these people are t- tattooing themselves too as a kind of fuck you to religion, you know, again, which obviously isn't true. Like I I, I just sort of want to, I'd love to, I mean, I, you know, I, I as an academic, I try and understand things that I don't understand and this is one of the things which I really would love to understand like what how do people who think that tattooing is anti-religious square the in a Christian context square the fact that pilgrims have been getting tattooed in Christian pilgrims have been getting tattooed in the Holy Land for 400 years that there's a great article I was telling you about before we came on air um, from a, a magazine called Good News Magazine Good Words Magazine from 1905 1905 115 years ago more um, which is about you know tattooed bishops and tattooed um, missionaries, you know Jesuit priests, and you can't make any sense of that uh, if if you If you believe that tattooing is inherently a kind of anti-Christian practice, well actually certainly the pre-18th century tattooing that we have evidence of is almost entirely like pretty much exclusively Christian in nature.
0: Well, I think that's because. If you Column writing isn't a historic project um, and we will move on from that. <laughs> but the most common forms of religious tattoos, obviously, in the West, it's crosses, saints, angels, Jesus. When we look at how a lot of those designs originated aside from, you know, sailors in the 18th, 19th century who were using it like those amulets you think of, in the 18th, 19th century, you're getting on a boat to go to... Yeah, somewhere. Cape Good Hope or Cape Horn, <laughs> and, you know, there's a pretty big chance you're not coming back. So, yeah. it, it, there obviously, there is that, you know, suggestion that they were tattooed because if you died at sea, they could identify the body. There's an argument that they used them as kind of these spiritual amulets. They probably got them because they're cool and they're a nice souvenir of being at sea. And, yeah, and, and also those... Those images are in the culture, right? If you look at a lot of the designs of those times, they're very contemporaneous with the, you know, a lot of the iconography and design of the time. You know, that was after the invention of the modern modern printing press. Press the wide publication of kind of pulp magazines and papers, and quite a lot of these papers had cartoons in them. You've seen the original uh, gorilla meme, that sort of thing sounds of muffled guerrilla violence. But these were, people were very in tune with visual culture at the time. And they were much more attuned with the comical nature of a lot of these things. Like people probably got them for fun because tattoos are cool. Anyone who listens yeah. to the show knows the tattoos are cool. But there is also that faith-based thing that a lot of people got them because they identified as part of a culture and got them because of that.
1: Well, these two, these two, these two things aren't mutually exclusive. And I think that's also sort of interesting and something I, I, I always try and get across because so let's just quickly talk about the history of these Christian tattoos. Cause I've, I've mentioned it a few times. So right. Um, starting in the, the late 1500s, we've got evidence of tattoo tattooers, Christian tattooers working in the Holy land in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, at pilgrimage sites as well in places like Italy it's obviously such a kind of important part of the narrative of going to those places very quickly that, for example, saints stories or pilgrim stories that had been published for a hundred or so years by that point were updated in new editions that included kind of tattooing stories in them. There's an amazing story of this guy called Jan van Ertz, a supposed pilgrim from, um, from sort of Belgium. Who found a knight who was tattooed? You know, dead body of a knight who was tattooed, and in the early versions of this his story, there's no tattooing, but by the late 1500s, by the late 16th century, like clearly, tattooing is an important part of the story, and from then on, we get pretty much consistent evidence of tattoo of 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 visitors getting tattooed with Jerusalem crosses, dates of their visits, so. Obviously, on the one hand, it's this devotional practice. it's to mark you've been. it's to have this kind of significance of your journey. but on the other hand, that part of the world is also is a really important you know it's a sort of tourist trade in a way, and the Franciscans who run Jerusalem at the time very quickly start you know they and, and around and also not just around the fact there are loads of pilgrims there, um particularly at Easter time, it becomes a bit of a commercial hub, so people start selling what are called pilgrim badges. So little pewter badges, things carved out of Mother of Pearl, wooden things. So tattooing becomes part of the tourist trade. Those two things are not mutually exclusive and you can kind of get a very religiously meaningful tattoo that is also serving as a kind of like, hey, look what I got on holiday, lads, when you get home symbol. Those two things work together. Getting your
0: Chinese takeaway order on your arm when you're in
1: Malaga. 100%. So like, here's a good example. Here's one of my favorite examples. So a guy called William Lithgow uh, Scottish uh, Reformation Protestant guy, real zealot, goes to Jerusalem, gets tattooed uh, with uh, Jerusalem cross, so one cross with four crosses around it, the image of the Franciscans. It's this his proselytizing image of Christianity spreading around the world. Underneath that, he gets the crown of St James, uh, St James King James, um, King James I, who obviously you know pro- big protest- big Protestant king, and that's kind of a kind of a fuck you potentially to the Franciscans that are running Jerusalem but also a sign of like hey I want to I want to kind of mark this in my own way this is in 1612 about 10 years later he's on a um, mission in Spain and without going too much into the history there's a real big conflict happening between British and Spanish crowns at this time lots of complex politics is happening a lot of it about about religion um as well as into you know mar- into marriage and all this kind of stuff, but basically the Spanish Inquisition don't like James, so they capture this guy. And a he's a Protestant, and b he's Scottish, and c he's got a tattoo uh, of Jerusalem, good, but King James bad. So they put him on the rack, they stretch him, torture him, and cut the crown tattoo out of his body and send him <laughs> back to send him back to Scotland, <laughs> right? Because, again, the religious tattoo is fine. The political tattoo, not so much. Um, and this, this tradition of, of religious tattooing goes all the way through um, Edward the Seventh, future King of England gets tattooed with a Jerusalem cross, 200 years later than that, 250 years later than that, in 1861. And, and yeah, like, it was sort of a done thing if you were a Christian. And, and, and the tattooer that did those tattoos, his family, uh, a guy called... Uh, the current incumbent is called Wasim Razouk, still works in Jerusalem today, tattooing pilgrims um, with uh, using these wood blocks that were used um, as design blocks. So uh, they're, they're partly tourists. They're partly kind of like, yeah, like, here's what I did on holiday, kind of m- memory, souvenir, whatever. But they're also like, yeah, of course, they also serve as this religious um, marker point. You know, like, I again, I talk about in the book uh, when I talk about this stuff, like Edward the 7th, he got tattooed in Jerusalem. He was a bit of a playboy. He was a bit of a wild child. But the the day before he got tattooed, the, the the priest on his ship was like, "Hey, take some take something of Jerusalem home with you. You know, take something of this place into your heart." And so you can maybe read like, you know, he's getting something this this kind of spiritual moment. He's the future king of England. The future head of the Church of England. You can read that in a very overdetermined Christian way. And like, so it really blows my mind that, that people will say that tattooing is this inherently pagan practice when you've got hundreds of years of, Christ- of tattooing in the most holy sites in the Christian faith by the future head of the Church of England. You know, like it's very weird. The other, the other example here to pr- prove the point of what's allowed and what isn't allowed is another Spanish Inquisition story, 18th century pre-cook. In the Spanish Inquisition, they capture this guy called Lorenzo. He's a lemon seller. And he's in trouble because he's got a tattoo on his arm of Jesus. But underneath, he's tattooed the word bollocks, basically a cock. Some like Spanish slang term for genitalia. So that, that gets him in trouble. And he's hauled off by the Inquisition, right? Because he, he has carrejo or whatever. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Tattooed under, this, um, under his Jesus tattoo. So yeah, tattooing Christianity,
0: complicated. <laughs> stories like that really highlight how common, particularly once we're approaching the modern age uh, that tattooing was and obviously as like we said, bringing it back full circle like Baudrillard said that we eventually get to a point where the copy no longer represents the original, we still have yeah. an iconographic lineage back to you know simple Jerusalem crosses, obviously a lot of those designs at the time were limited by the technology that was available, and now you can go get a full back piece, double sleeve. You know, Saint Anthony, Saint Michael, and the Archangel Gabriel doing like a Marvel MCU fight. Um, that might be a bit apocryphal, but
1: well, you know, you know that um, there's that Twitter, there's that Twitter feed, specifically, specific, like suspiciously specific. That's suspiciously specific. <laughs> That's obviously an idea you've been toying. With for your no, own case, <laughs> <laughs> Um, But yeah, but you're, you're right, right? So, again, in, in modern tattooing, because those, I mean, ironically, because those religious images in the Christian context have been so prevalent for obvious cultural reasons, you know, they've come out of religious moments in time and religious places, they have now become part of the tattoo vernacular. And so, yeah, a lot of people that are getting kind of Christian. Tattooing, or 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 for that point, actually Buddhist tattooing, or tattoo- in the you know out of context, it becomes kind of quite like just a tattoo, or at least that is what people would say. I mean, I think a good example of that, and I am really loathe to talk about it because I always get asked to and I always refuse. But like David Beckham, right, with all of his religious tattooing. Love you, David. Love you, David. Yeah. But like you know, he has all these black and gray like religious tattoos. But why? And the reason is because those tattoos became in the late nineties, early two thousands became part of the tattoo vernacular. Why? Because they came out of prisons in Los Angeles. Black and gray because people in prison don't have access to colored ink. They're making their own inks out of dust and soot. And religious imagery because lots of the people doing it were Latino, Chicano growing up in very, very heath- heavily Catholic and Catholicized visual cultures, whether or not they were themselves deeply Catholic or not, they come from these, uh, many of them would have been, many of them were just, you know, they're inside this Catholic visual culture. And then they, through that, and through then the appropriation of like, uh, and, and also African-Americans as well, getting tattooed in prison in the same way, also from 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 religious, uh, religious backgrounds, that then become, because that popular culture of, Um, West Coast, United States became kind of big in the late 90s, early 2000s through hip hop, through fashion, through um, TV. All of that stuff then seeps into the broader cultural conversation and they're tattooing. They're tattooing from that particular culture, black and grey because technology, Catholic because historical population. That then becomes the cool tattoo. And I don't think, well, David Beckham's not, I don't think, Catholic Um, He's certainly not Chicano, and he certainly wasn't getting tattooed in a prison in Los Angeles. But um, his tattooing comes from those places. And then so much of the tattooing that followed him as a pop culture icon, praying hands, in particular rosemary rosemary beads, as they get called, you know. Uh,
0: Illuminated crosses, Archangel Gabriel, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, that's not that's that's a really example of what you're talking about. It it, that's tattooing that's divorced from its original context. But its original context isn't that far back in history. You know, it's the 1970s and 80s in in West Coast prisons,
0: right? And for any listener, please do bear in mind we are going to do a bonus episode about footballer tattoos. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We need yeah, but that's that's um, that's that that's really he's talking about and why there's. We'll tease this, but there's a really interesting theory that I read about why tattoos are so badly dressed that feeds into this. So we can, <laughs> we can tease that thought.
0: We can talk about that off air and uh, we, we can work on that. But obviously the context that we're talking about is very heavily Christian based. And we are going to spend more time in the future talking about specific religion, ethno-religious tattooing around the world. And
1: I want it. We want well. We we want to get. And I want to be really clear. You know where I, where I am interested and where I talk with any authority about religious tattooing that isn't Christian. It's where Christians have turned up and misinterpreted it, right, or tried to wipe it out. I am not qualified to give you a deep and authoritative account of of of, of particular tattooing. You know, in in other co- contexts, I can tell you what Westerns thought of it and what they got wrong. But we want on future episodes, you know, to do deep dives on all of these and get. Um, people and talk to people who 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 are from those cultures, who are tattooers, who are people trying to revive these practices where they've been eliminated. Who can t- talk with much more authority than I can about the specific uh, metaphysics and spiritual nature of these of of all of these practices? Because you know what I find super interesting, and and always what I sort of try I try and kind of get my head around is that Westerns turn up and they read tattooing as you know, oh they, they are this is tattooing used to worship gods. Or tattooing Easter to honour the dead, or whatever. And of course, it's always much more complicated than that. And those stories deserve uh, and need to be told um, with care and with caution. You know, um, I can t- I can tell you what I can tell you what what idiot colonialists uh, and idiot Daily Mail columnists uh, thought about.
0: As we're drawing this episode to a close, I hope you've learned a lot and you've enjoyed it. I think this is something we're going to come back to over and over again because tattooing is one of the more modern art forms to have reached maturity podcasting and tattooing the new modern art forms it's reached maturity now and there's so much evolving and so much interpretation of iconography from the past even like the cyclical nature of the fact that now what would be considered 90s tribal obviously that term is probably problematic in and of itself is being reinterpreted in a way that is people are using AI generation to generate designs, and they're doing it in abstract ways. We look at stuff like biomechanical. We look at all these new ways that previous styles are being interpreted, and it's a fascinating area that we are, well, I know I am, and I'm sure Matt is. This is literally his job, uh, are super excited to dive into. Matt, do you have anything to close us out on?
1: I mean, yeah, only to say, you know, that like some tattoos are deeply religiously significant. Some just look like they are. Um, And it's very, very difficult to tell the difference, especially through the lens of history. So just be careful about over-determining. Don't, don't, don't be all Dan Brown on this stuff. Don't assume that you know what a tattoo means. Um, Be careful though, about taking images you don't understand. And like, Yeah, just remember, you know, if you read it in the Daily Mail, it's probably incorrect.
0: (laughs) Always spell check your tattoos. That's what I'll say. That's
1: a good heuristic. Yeah. (laughs)